Merry Christmas. If you've heard of Jesus, you probably know about one of his famous teachings called the Golden Rule. Do to others what you would want them to do to you. And this, actually, is a restatement of something else that Jesus said, that the meaning of life is to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that's really beautiful, but what does he mean exactly by the word love? It's an unclear word in English, because you can love your mom and you can love pizza. And if the word love means the same thing in both of those cases, your mom's going to feel real bad. So what did Jesus mean in his language? Well, first of all, this love your neighbor phrase is a quotation from the Hebrew scriptures, where the word for love is ahava. However, the language Jesus spoke and taught in from day to day was a cousin language of Hebrew, that is Aramaic, in which the word for love is rachma. But then, as Jesus' followers spread his teachings around the world, they translated them into Greek using the word agape. But here's what's fascinating. The earliest followers of Jesus who wrote the books of the New Testament in Greek, they didn't learn the meaning of agape by looking it up in ancient dictionaries. Rather, they looked to the teachings of Jesus and the story of his life to redefine their very concept of love. So one time, Jesus was asked about the most important command in the Jewish scriptures. And he first quoted from the ancient prayer in the Torah called the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. So love for God is the most important thing. But then Jesus quickly followed up by saying another command from the Torah was also the most important, to love your neighbor as yourself. So which is the most important, loving God or loving your neighbor? Jesus' answer is yes. To ask the question means you don't get his point. For Jesus, they are two sides of the same coin. Your love for God will be expressed by your love for people and vice versa, they're inseparable. And so this makes it clear that for Jesus, agape love is not primarily a feeling for someone else that happens to you, like our phrase, I fell in love. For Jesus, love is action. It's a choice that you make to seek the well-being of people other than yourself. Jesus also went on to teach that genuine love for God and others means seeking people's well-being without expecting anything in return, especially from people who are in difficult situations who can't repay you even if they wanted to. According to Jesus, this kind of generous love reflects the very heartbeat of God. And he took this even further. Jesus said that the ultimate standard of authentic love is how well you treat the person that you can't stand. Or in his words, you shall love your enemy and do good to them, expecting nothing nothing in return. For Jesus, this kind of enemy-embracing love imitates the very character of God himself. Now, we wouldn't be talking about Jesus still today if he had only said things like love your enemy. This is how he actually lived. Jesus was constantly helping and serving the people around him in very practical and tangible ways. And he consistently moved towards poor and hurting people who couldn't benefit him in return. He showed love for the forgotten ones, the people who usually fall through the cracks. And when Jesus eventually marched into Jerusalem, he made himself an enemy of the leaders of his people by accusing them of hypocrisy and corruption. But then instead of attacking his enemies to overthrow them, he allowed them to kill him. Jesus died for the selfishness and corruption of his enemies because he loved them. After Easter morning, Jesus and then his followers claimed that it was the power of God's love for the world that was revealed in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. As the Apostle Paul put it, God demonstrated his own agape for us in this. While we were still sinners, the Messiah died for us. Or in the words of the Apostle John, God's own agape was revealed when he sent his one and only son into the world so that through him we could have life. And for John, then, this leads naturally to the conclusion, beloved ones, if that's how God has loved us, then we ought to show love for one another. 
So Christian faith involves trusting that at the center of the universe is a being overflowing with love for his world, which means that the purpose of human existence is to receive this love that has come to us in Jesus and then to give it back out to others, creating an ecosystem of others-focused, self-giving love. And that's the New Testament meaning of agape love. Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. Glad you are with us. And I just want to say right up top, uh, we mentioned last week that we were expecting this to be the lighter attended service and our next service later. And I should have been more clear that I only needed five of you to come to this service. But just want to say thank you for jumping in and being a part, inviting people. And many of you are here maybe for the first time with family visiting for Christmas or or maybe uh, you were looking for a place to worship today and, and you found your way here. Whatever it is that brought you here, just Merry Christmas and uh, really thankful that you're here with us. And let you know one, one little thing, next Sunday is our Sabbath Sunday. So we will be meeting online only next Sunday. There will be a live broadcast that starts at 9 a.m. Uh, for you to log in and we'll all be meeting digitally next week. And then January 8th, we will be back in person, normal 9 and 10.45 service time. Sound good? Hey, well, we're thrilled to, to celebrate this Christmas. We're coming to the end of this Advent, this end of uh, the final Sunday of Advent. And Advent is a, is a Latin word that just simply means arrival. Somebody say arrival. Advent is the arrival of love incarnate. Today, we're going to talk about how love became embodied, how Jesus, fully God, fully man, came into this world embodying and demonstrating what the love of God really looks like, what this agape love looks like. Today, our teaching text is uh, found in Matthew chapter 21, an unconventional Christmas text to be sure. But as a church, we've been walking through the gospel of Matthew, exploring this theme of the King Jesus gospel. And I think you're going to notice some things about Jesus' arrival that maybe you maybe had never really connected some of these dots before. But let's take a look at it. Matthew chapter 21. We're going to start in verse 1. This is what scripture says. It says this. As Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to a town of Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of the disciples on ahead, go into the village over there, and he said, as soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. Now, if anyone asks you, what are you doing? Just say, the Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. Pause. I don't recommend trying this at a restaurant anytime soon. No, no, don't worry. The Lord needs of this burger and fries. It'll be okay. Let me just... Walk out with it. I don't recommend trying this phrase on. Verse 6. Uh, excuse me, verse 4. This took the place to fulfill the prophecy. We talked about that last week. That said, tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble. He's riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. The two disciples did as Jesus had commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him, threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, say this with me, 
Praise God for the son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heaven. Well done. I'll keep reading. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this? They asked. And the crowds then replied, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. What a question. Who is this? Who is this man that is coming into our city? Who is this man that is of such worth and value that people are doing this wildly unheard of expression? Who is this man? Maybe you've asked that question before trying to understand who this Jesus is. Maybe it's a question that you're still wrestling with. Who is this man? Is, is he really worthy of devotion? Is he a man who I should honor and celebrate? Is, is he really a man and God? Who is this man? It's a question at the central heart of all humanity, if you were to ask me. It's one of the most important questions that you could wrestle with, ask and explore who is this? And I hope you will come to the conclusion, the conclusion I've come to and the conclusion that many others in this room have come to is this. Who is this? It is the Son of God, the promised one, born humble yet fully exalted. He is the light of the world. He is Jesus. And he is worthy of your adoration and my adoration. He's the one in which we've come to celebrate and sing about. The one on a 12-degree Christmas morning in southeast Kansas, you decided to get up and get out of your PJs and come and sit in a crowded space, cuddling with somebody hopefully you're related to. <laughs> this is the man Jesus. His arrival was humble, the scripture says, yet he was being celebrated. Humble yet celebrated. And I find it interesting that we must humble ourselves in order to really celebrate him. He is humble and celebrated. We need to humble ourselves so that we can celebrate him. I don't know if you have uh, saw on the news or clips online of... Uh, in Argentina, Buenos Aires, when the reigning World Cup champions, the Argentina football team, was arriving in Buenos Aires. I don't know if you saw the pandemonium this, this was. The streets were crowded with people waving flags, chanting, celebrating. The people were on uh, the, the bus, and they couldn't move. In fact, it was so crowded, so celebrated, so much chaos in the streets that they had to get helicopters to get the players up to continue to travel around because the streets were so crowded with celebration. This is the picture of Jesus' arrival into Jerusalem. Side note, for those of you Bible nerds, this is also a prophetic picture that points to what it's going to look like when Jesus returns in his second advent to the earth. As a church, we're going to study a little bit about his second return in the months of January and February. Uh, but for now, I want you to know that when Jesus returns, this is what it looks like. A king entering into a city full of, of celebration because he's worthy. And it's interesting, as, as the people were celebrating and cheering, and we read it just a minute ago, they were celebrating and singing something specific. One of the phrases that the people were shouting was, praise God in the highest heaven. Interesting, isn't it? 
that the crowd was cheering Jesus' arrival using the same words that the angels and the starry host were celebrating and saying, praise God in the highest heaven, peace on earth, goodwill toward mankind when Jesus arrived on the earth the first time. We have a throwback. The people are celebrating now. The people are shouting praise for his royalty. But on that Christmas night, the angels in creation shouted their praise for his divinity. Jesus is worthy of this kind of praise. Friends, can I uh, let you in on something? You may be aware of this, but in case you weren't, love must be expressed. You can't internally say you love someone, but never externally embody it and express it. Love must be expressed. This is why we worship and we sing as followers of Jesus. Because praise and worship is love being expressed. It's a sacrifice to praise and sing when you don't feel like it. And that sacrifice is an act of ascribing value to someone in whom we believe is well worthy of all praise. We worship and we sing because it's love being expressed in, in Mark's uh, account of this story of Jesus riding into Jerusalem. Jesus says something interesting. He says, if people don't start praising me, if people don't worship me, if you, follower of Jesus, don't worship him, you are replaceable by creation and a rock. See, in Jesus' first arrival, there were no people yet to fully realize his amazing royal kingship. And so the angels and creation and stars were declaring his glory. But now people have beheld the goodness of God. They've seen love incarnate among them. And they recognize love has come. And so they are celebrating and seeing why. Because love for God must be expressed. It must be expressed. Love must be expressed. This is why we sing. Love must be expressed. That's why we give gifts, isn't it? This is why you give gifts. How many of you, by a quick applause, have already opened your presents that are under the tree? Yeah, yeah, see? Those of you that aren't clapping are already jealous and you just need to get over it. Just, they planned better than you did. I don't know. This is why we give gifts. To express our love. This is why as a church we're giving away 100% of the offering that we give as a community today. Now, we obviously could use it for a new building, but that's not why we're giving it. We're giving it away to help other places globally and some initiatives that we have coming up in the new year locally. And as a church, we wanted to create these kinds of partnerships that uh, are, are supportive of organizations that are doing the work of Jesus in tangible ways. And we get to worship and express our love to God and to people as we give. This is why we give. This is why you give gifts, because you must express love. Love, love is this expressed value uh, that you are giving to someone. We demonstrate love, ascribing value. And, and the people in this account, in Matthew 21, of Jesus arriving, were celebrating and singing something amazing because love must be expressed. They were laying their cloaks on the ground, which in our mind is kind of wild. We, we don't really have much of an equivalent to this. 
There's a, a famous story of Sir Walter Raleigh, one of the great explorers and travelers during the reign of Queen Elizabeth and King James I of England. On one occasion, he was with the queen when she was walking through the streets of London and came to a place where rainwater had made the ground really muddy and dirty. He quickly took off his cloak, placed it on the ground so the queen could walk over without getting mud on her own feet. Now, it's a story and the tale may or may not be true, though for some years Raleigh was certainly one of Queen Elizabeth's favorites. But to illustrate the point of this incident, I think it works really well. It's a very special gesture, especially if the cloak that you lay on the ground is the only one you've got, which in Jesus' time was absolutely the case. It says quite clearly that you are celebrating and expressing value to this person about as highly as you can. It also implies that if the need arose, you would give them anything else you had as well. Why? Because love must be expressed. Not only does love need to be expressed, here's our final real thought today, is that love expressed is an embodied love. Love that you express is something that you don't only say, but love expressed is something that you embody and you live. Jesus came to embody the love of God for humanity. In the face of Jesus would be the embodiment of God's love for humanity. Jesus' love was selfless. It was an embodied, selfless, sacrificial love. There was a man by the name of Nicodemus who came to Jesus at night, and he was asking the same question the crowd was asking. Who is this man really? Is he the, the promised one? Is he a prophet? Who is this man? And in Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus, we see it recording in John chapter 3. Listen to how Jesus is answering his question about who he is as we think about love being embodied. Verse 13 says this, no one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the son of man has come down from heaven. And as, just as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life, this flourishing God's way of life. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save and rescue the world through himself. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this one fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved darkness more than the light. How do you know that? Because their actions were evil. And all who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it. 
for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. What is Jesus talking about? He's talking about all of us are born already in a place where the world is experiencing judgment and curse. You don't have to look around very far to realize what broken people can do to other people. What one lie can do to a relationship. What one act of selfishness can do to ruin a family. To what one momentary grasp for self-gratification can do to destroy a generation. One act of bitter unforgiveness can turn violent and bring death and destruction. You don't have to look very far to know the impact of what happens when we say we love something, but don't embody what that love is supposed to look like. Life, your life and my life, absent from a loyal belief in Jesus, is a life absent of life-giving love. You experience broken love. You might experience temporary love from people around you. You might even experience traded love, where if you do the right thing and they do the right thing, then love will be exchanged. But that's not the agape love that Jesus came to demonstrate and embody. And that's not the the life-giving love that we are called not only to receive, but to give away. Friends, you were made with a capacity for love. In fact, I would go as far as to say there's not a person in this room who's ever been loved too much. As much as you've been loved by your family, by people, you have never been loved too much. Why? Because you were created with an infinite capacity to receive love. There's never enough love that you could experience to say, no, no, please stop loving me. I've been loved too much. And might I add that not only were you created for an infinite capacity to receive love, but that infinite capacity can only be filled by an infinite God. And as long as we're trying to fill our lives and find satisfaction and produce flourishing in our life apart from the infinite, pure, holy, life-giving, agape love of God, there will be something in your life that you recognize is not bringing flourishment to you. Because your infinite capacity to love was meant to be filled by an infinite God. We're going to take some time and reflect on this love, this love that arrived in this baby named Jesus. We're going to take some time to reflect on this love as we read and hear the Christmas story and light some candles around us. And as you light your candle or someone lights your candle, I want you to think about this light being representative of God's love. Coming to you. And the love that you receive is also a love that was meant to be given to someone else. So your candle will be lit by your neighbor and you will use your light to spread light to the person next to you. And we'll start in the front of every section and 
it will slowly make its way towards the back. My family will be helping us light the candles in each section as well. If you have your candle, would you go ahead and just get it out? Because in a minute we're going to pray, and while we pray, everything will begin to be darkened. So if parents, your kids are kind of moving, help them get settled, because it's about to get pretty dark in here, and we will be hearing the Christmas story under candlelight. So go ahead and get those candles out. If you didn't get a candle and you want to participate, just kind of wave your hands. Our host will get you these candles. But as we pray, can I invite you to do something? Can I invite you to simply ask the God of the universe to fill you with his infinite love today? To fill you with his love that is life-giving today? And can you invite, maybe for the first time, God's love into your heart and soul and experience his love in a new way today? If you would, go ahead and bow your heads and close your eyes. And let's begin to pray. Heavenly Father, you sent your son to us to a world that was dark, to a world that was broken, to a world that was in need of rescuing and saving. And Jesus, you're the one who came to save us. Lord, today, may we open our hearts to receive of your love in a fresh and new way. Jesus, you came to bring us light and the love of God. And we receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. God in the very beginning. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government and of the peace of the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts, he will accomplish this. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. The angel Gabriel appeared to her and said, Mary, greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. And 
confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be frightened, Mary, the angel told her. God has chosen to bless you. You will become pregnant and have a son, and you're to name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. But angel asked, but Mary asked the angel, how can I have a baby? I am a virgin. And the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby born to you will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. While Mary was still a virgin, she became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her fiancé, being a just man, decided to break the engagement quietly so as to not disgrace her publicly. As he considered this, he fell asleep, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, don't be afraid to go ahead with your marriage to Mary, for the child in her has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this happened to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Behold, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. He will be called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. This prophecy from Isaiah was given 700 years before Jesus was born. Joseph woke up. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He brought Mary home to be his wife, and she remained a virgin until her son was born. And at that time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the entire empire. All returned to their own towns to register for the census. Because Joseph was the descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. Traveled from the village of Nazareth in Galilee and took with him Mary, his wife, who was great with child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger. That night, there were shepherds in the fields outside the village, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terribly frightened, but the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news of great joy for everyone. A Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born tonight in Bethlehem, the city of David. And this is how you will recognize him. You will find a baby lying in a manger, wrapped in swaddly clothes, and suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host from heaven, the armies of heaven, praising God, saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. The angels left, and the shepherds said to each other, come, let us go to Bethlehem and see this wonderful thing that's happened, which the Lord told us about. So they ran to the village, and they found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. 
The shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the story were astonished, but Mary kept these things in her heart. The shepherds went back to their fields and flocks, glorifying and praising God. So Jesus was born in the town of Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. And at that time came wise men from the east to Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We've seen his star that arose. Oh, and we've come to worship him. Herod was deeply disturbed by their question, as was all of Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of the religious law. Where do the prophets say the Messiah will be born, he asked. Well, in Bethlehem, they said. For this is what the prophet Micah wrote. O Bethlehem of Judea, you're not just a lowly village of Judah. For a ruler will come to you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. So King Herod sent a message to the wise men. He told them, go to Bethlehem, search diligently for the child, and when you find him, come and tell me that I may go and worship him too. After this meeting, the wise men went on their way, and once again, the star appeared to guide them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house where the child and his mother were and fell down and worshipped him. And they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. But when it was time to leave, they went another way. Because God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. After the wise men were gone, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother. The angel said... Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod will try and kill the child. That very night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. When King Herod learned the wise men had outwitted him, he sent soldiers to kill all the baby boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, because the wise men had told him that the star had first appeared about two years before. Then later, when King Herod died, God's angel appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Get up, take the child and his mother and return to Israel. All those who wish to murder the child are dead. So Joseph obeyed, he arose, and he took the child and his mother, and he re-entered Jerusalem and Israel. After arriving, he settled in the village of Nazareth, fulfilling the words of the prophet, he shall be called a Nazarene. His name is Jesus. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness will not overcome it. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but of everlasting life. And this is the story of Christmas.
God. Hey, thanks for singing with us. Would you go ahead and blow out your candle? Well done. You sounded great. I hope you have a Merry Christmas, babe. Would you join me? Amber, would you join me? She's taking care of kids like a good mom. Hey, from our family to yours, we want to say very Merry Christmas. We hope you have a wonderful time celebrating. Thanks for coming and celebrating with family today. Hey, let's say our blessing to one another as we go from this place. It'll be on the screen, nice and strong. Let's say it loud. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. Amen. Hey, Merry Christmas, everybody. Have a wonderful day. Messages are helping you gain traction in your faith. Would you consider partnering with us financially? When you do that, it helps us widen our reach so that more people can have an encounter with the real Jesus. You can find information and ways to give on our central hub, faithchurchks.org. If you're if you live in the Southeast Kansas region, we'd love to see it in person at one of our Sunday services. You can find those times on our hub as well, faithchurchks.org. Hey, remember this, God is for you and we love you.